0: We're thinking through God's promises in this series by way of certain covenants that God made with his people through time. And so far we've visited two of those, the covenant of life that God put before Adam in the Garden of Eden and a covenant of hope that God made with the remnant of creation that he saved from the flood in Noah's day. And those covenants came on the back of all kinds of blessings that God had just graciously given to his people. But so too, there's been a bit of a tension building along the storyline of scripture about the unworthiness of us as, as the human recipients of all these things. It's been a story of blessing from God's side of the equation and yet from our side, a growing awareness of the problem of sin. And that tension is going to keep building in the background as we work our way through Scripture and work our way through this series. But in the foreground, we're going to see God nevertheless still drawing close to his people and still blessing them greatly, despite all of their sin. And so again today, we come to another covenant. And it's another covenant thick with blessing. A covenant that God makes with a man called Abram. And God's covenant with Abram stretches across several chapters of scripture. So we're going to need to jump around a bit and read ahead a little bit to see this come together all all the more clearly. But we will start there in Genesis 12 where we just read and and so do have that open. And in particular, try to latch on if you can to to just the first few verses of chapter 12. In the first few verses there, we have summarized uh, God's intentions in this covenant that he's making with Abram. Well, there's God's intentions in what's uh, coming in Scripture that we're about to look at. We don't know much about Abraham, by the way, prior to this. Just, I guess, what the last section of chapter 11, uh, just before this passage, uh, told us. Uh, if you cast your eyes back to chapter 11 and verse 27, uh, we we learn there in that last little section of chapter 11 that, that Abraham's father was Terah and his brothers were Nahor and Haran. He had a nephew called Lot with him, whose father Haran had died, and that Sarai, his wife, was barren. And that they moved with their father Terah from Ur of the Chaldeans, that is, over near Babylon, near the the Gulf of Persia, and they were heading for a place called Canaan, and that is a, a land to the west along the Jordan River. But they settled somewhere in between in Haran. And Terah, the father of Abram, died there in Haran. Suddenly then, in chapter 12, and and, and yet, who knows exactly, I guess, in regard to all of that backstory, uh, the Lord calls Abram to go, to leave behind everything he knows and, and go to the land that God will show him. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And the reason that God wants Abraham to do that is because of this covenant he's about to make. And it's kind of like a twofold covenant, really, because there's two kinds of, of blessing here. On on the one hand, there is God's blessing to Abraham. Because Abram, well, God will make Abram great. Chapter 12, verse 2, I I will make of you, Abram, a a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Abram, with a barren wife, Sarah, and with his brother's son, and and at 75 years of age, when he took up this call from God, verse 4 tells us, he, he left everything and he went, just as the Lord had told him, to become a great nation to be blessed and to have his name made great. It must have been hard for Abram to imagine how at, at 75 and with a barren wife, God would you know, bring about those kinds of blessings for him. But nevertheless, he went. And nevertheless, that was exactly the nature of this first of God's promised blessings here in this covenant. It was a blessing to Abram for all those things. Abram would be made great. And so, verse 5, Abram went, and the Lord showed him the land. Verse 5, Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Blessing will flow to Abram. The Lord is showing him the land that will be for his offspring when he becomes a great nation. The second of the blessings in this covenant was was one that God would have flow through Abram. A, A blessing for others. It's a blessing for all nations. Abram would be blessed with all the things God just promised, but for a deeper purpose that God is working so that God might bless all the nations through Abram. If we glance back at verse 2 again, God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God has already blessed the whole creation, as we saw last week and uh, as we saw the week before. But God has further purposes in mind. And through Abram, it seems, God is going to do something more specific than the general blessings that he's already bestowed upon all people everywhere. Something specific is coming through Abram. Which kind of makes the next section of this scripture a a little hard to make sense of. In verse 10, where we read before, Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. The curse falling here on Pharaoh might seem to somehow line up with what God had actually said back in verse 3 about those who dishonor Abraham. Because Abraham is being dishonored, I guess, in a certain kind of way with what's going on here. But but isn't this Abraham's doing rather than Pharaoh's? Why did Abraham deceive Pharaoh like this? Pharaoh's response in verse 18 is, is surely what you and I too would say. Uh, Pharaoh called Abram and said, well, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Abram is hardly proving to be a blessing to others at this point, is he? Or rather, Abram has brought curse upon Pharaoh. The story of Scripture just won't let us forget the problem in the background of human sin. No sooner are these beautiful covenants made that we're looking at with with Adam and then with Noah and, and now with Abram too. These covenants are made, but, but the narrative straight away returns to the matter of sin. I mean, this is hardly the first thing we'd imagine being documented about the recipient of that beautiful covenant promise at the start of the chapter, is it? And now I guess we know a little bit more about Abram. He steps out in faith, verse 5, but so too, verse 10, he seems to be otherwise like the rest of us, plagued by this self-same sin that infects us all. So, what will now happen with that covenant? What will become of those blessings that God had promised to Abraham and then through Abraham to others? Well, the promise to Abraham is still going ahead. Turn ahead with me, if you would, in your Bibles to, to chapter 15. Just a page or so ahead. Chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. so shall your offspring be. Verse 7, God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. God is still going ahead with the covenant promises that he made to Abram. This is why he brought him from Babylon, to to make him into a great nation and, and bless that nation with the land in which to live. Abram responds in faith, verse 6, trusting God's promise. Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And yet we have to notice also that so too Abram still holds uncertainty at some level, as if all this is just too good to be true, which in fairness it is. If you think about it, At verse eight, Abram said, o, "O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God's answer of assurance comes by way of a covenant ceremony from verse nine through verse 21. And here God uses a ritual from the ancient Near East that Abram would have been familiar with. But there's a vital difference with this ceremony. Let's just catch first the general form of this ceremony. In in, in verse 9, God said to Abram, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and and they will be servants there and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." The Amorites are one of the people groups in the land of Canaan that has just been promised to Abram, a, a people whose sin and judgment God is is going to be patient with for another four hundred years yet. Verse seventeen: When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, "To your offspring." I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. Now here's the point of difference that makes this covenant ceremony distinct. Typically, in Abram's culture, both parties to the covenant would walk between those pieces of the animal carcasses. By way of attesting to each other, if I don't uphold my part of the covenant agreement, then let me become like this animal. May I be cut to pieces. But in this covenant ceremony, the one party is sidelined, because Abram is in a deep sleep, a state of dark... Dread, And he is incapable of taking part, it would seem. Instead, God alone here, represented by the smoke and the fire, God alone passes through the animal pieces, giving us two things to process. First of all, God will follow through on his covenant promises regardless of Abram's input. And second of all, this covenant is absolutely certain. God cannot be rent in pieces like those animals. And so he cannot fall through on his promises. How will I know that your promise is good? Abram asked in verse 8. This is how you will know, says God in the rich and gory detail of of a covenant ceremony in which only God takes part. So, despite the sin that is evident in Abram, just like it's evident in all of us, the blessing to Abram is, is more than still on the cards, so to speak. It's absolutely certain, despite his sin. And again... That sin pops up in the very next scripture too. As Abram now takes Sarai's maidservant Hagar to to have a child with her instead of with his wife Sarai, who is barren. Abram's hardly being put to us here as, as the model kind of character we might expect for someone in line for that glorious promise, is he? But then again... Who of us is? And nevertheless, God's covenant blessings will still flow to Abram. Nations of descendants and a land to inherit. In fact, God repeats that promise again in chapter 17, if you want to flick another section ahead, when Abram is now 99 years old, uh, 24 years, that is, after first stepping out to follow the Lord's call in chapter 12. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So despite all the questionable actions by Abram in the meanwhile, God is only further confirming the same promise of blessing that he gave him back in Haran in chapter 12, expanding upon those things. God is still faithful to His covenant. God is faithful to His covenant. I've only really got one take-home point for you today, by the way, and and that's it: that God is faithful to His covenants. Abram was right, therefore, to trust Him. Back in chapter fifteen and verse six, indeed. Abram trusting God was the basis for Abram's righteousness, that text said. We are righteous when we trust God. And he is faithful to his word. I want you to reflect on that point through the week. That God is faithful to his covenants. And therefore we are righteous when we trust that he will be. And particularly, if you haven't yet put your trust in God, I want you to reflect on that. The answer that you need for your crisis of sin is to trust. Not in you or or in anything that you might do, but to trust, rather, in God and the promises that he has given. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And yet, equally so, reflect on this too, if you have trusted in God, but everything still seems, you know, too good to be true about these promises. Righteousness is found through faith in God. Because he is faithful to his word. Will you trust him completely? Anyway, we'll get more into all of that in, in the series ahead of us. But start chewing it over today. Eventually, back in our scripture in Genesis, God asks Abram, now renamed Abraham, in chapter 17, to, to make a sign of that covenant that he has now confirmed with him repeatedly. In chapter 17, verse 9, God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. An unusual thing for Abraham to do, and for all we know, it it was as strange a thing to his ears as it is to our ears. And effectively, I mean, I mean, what is it that they're being asked to do? It's only a sign, isn't it? It's really just a sign of the covenant of blessing that God has already made. It's like a mark of what God has done, a reminder, a, a, a significant thing. There's no question about that. And yet, then again, it, it's a simple thing, isn't it? And, and it's, a, you know, it's a one and done, and then they just move on. And we might ask of that covenant sign of circumcision, whom did it serve? I mean, was it for God's benefit that they do this? Or was it for their benefit? And we might ask just the same as part of that question, I guess. To what, in fact, it's marking? I mean, does it signify Abraham's faithfulness? Or God's faithfulness? Anyway. Abraham has by now got some pretty good closure on the blessings that were promised to him. We can be pretty sure of that. But what of that second of those two blessings that were back in the original promise of chapter 12? You know, the blessing that was to flow through Abraham to the nations. Is that promise still coming through, through Abraham? Well, that's the story of scripture that we're tracking with in our series. And and there's a hint of the answer on that in the rest of chapter 17. If we pick it up from verse 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael, by the way, is is the illegitimate son that Abram had with Sarai's maidservant, Hagar, in chapter 16 that we just glossed over before. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, he says. God said no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The choosing of Isaac and not Ishmael points us to something specific that God is doing. Specific blessing that will flow through Abram, and then specifically through Isaac rather than his brother Ishmael, and in turn specifically through Isaac's son Jacob rather than his other son Esau. The first blessing covers all Abraham's descendants in general, and so Ishmael is similarly blessed. But the second kind of blessing is something God will work through specific people in his specific choosing from within those many descendants of Abraham. Anyway, hold that thought and stay with us for the series. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look through your scriptures as always and a bit of a a bit of a journey for us today as we think across several chapters here and all of them around this call of abram and the blessings that you've promised to him and the blessings that you promised through him and father as we as we try to make sense of it all and the bits in between that we've just glossed over we see and we sense that problem of sin. We see the human wobble in in, in the way that Abram moves forward in faith and, and yet at the same time we therefore see all the more clearly the certainty of you and what you are doing. Help us, Father, to track along with that tension and, and to reflect on it too in our own lives rather than just looking over the narrative. Help us to think in our own hearts and... Uh, We pray, Father, because it is actually hard to trust you in your faithfulness when our minds are so aware of our own lack of faith at times. So help us to to build our lives on, on you with certainty because of who you are, not because of who we are. Give us patience with the journey that we've embarked on in these scriptures as we head towards your your ultimate promise that we know is coming uh, about the forgiveness and the eternal life that is in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We live under that promise as your church, Father, but help us to be patient as we work through scripture towards that truth and to see it more richly when we do land there in good time. Please be gracious to us in the meantime. Spread your wings across us. In Jesus' name, amen.